Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. I'm Marco Geroin. I'm Podrick McQuillan. McQuillan? Yeah. Is that what you're going with yeah. now? Yeah, that's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jose, your San Marino or something like that will be in the next one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this is a very special podcast at a very unusual time for World Storytelling Day 2020. As one of uh, our fave storytellers, I you know, say this, but all the storytellers, well, the father of one of our favourite storytellers here, Sarah, her dad said, in other words, uh, we live in queer times. We do live in queer times. Uh, it's that old curse, may you live in interesting times. I don't know whether it's a curse or not, but it's a, but it's a struggle. I suppose there's no getting away from the fact that we're making this podcast at a time where the streets are empty, people are held inside, and... Uh, the world is under siege from COVID nineteen, the yeah. coronavirus. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a little bit frightening. It's uh, we're finding out a lot about ourselves, but we're finding out a lot of good things about ourselves too, about how we're coming together, and how strong we all are, and how much we care about each other. And on day three, I search my own folds. Um, <laughs> you I found a battery. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, storytelling's always been used to kind of yeah, get through difficult situations, you know. Yes. You look at the history of this, even just this little piece of land that we call home, Ireland, and you look at politically and globally what's been going on at, at times of hardship, and, and what people did then was they came together. They sat around, they shared food, they shared their time, they shared a drink. They sure did. And uh, yeah, they shared their stories, and things aren't that different this time around. No. no. Do you only think now our neighbours aren't the house two miles down the road our neighbours are thousands of miles away and we can still check in with each other and it's amazing to see party some of the stuff that's going on locally and globally where the people are looking yeah. after each other and the the amount of things that we're seeing being done virtually now reaching out to uh, our elderly relatives and family and friends and if still feeling social still feeling together out there uh, in the world doing it all from your couch virtually yeah it's crazy to think that you know what I mean it's such a contrast because we're we're being told to physically distance ourselves yes and and I mean that that brings a lot of challenges for a lot of people but yeah. uh, but at the same time it's it's very easy for us to for us to reach out to each other mm. it was it was strange I was talking to a friend the other day and they said how what we're experiencing at the moment is something that a lot of people experience day to day anyway the feelings of isolation, you know what I mean, of not being able to get out and about. And, you know, we take things for granted until we're faced like this. But I think this is a big wake-up call for everyone anyway. There's still a lot of farmers and people out in the west of Ireland whose only friend is the radio, who don't see a person from one end of the week to the other. And maybe the good thing to come out of, of this time is that we will realise just how important it is to reach out to our friends, our family, our neighbours those in our community who are a bit vulnerable. Mm. Do you think those farmers listen to our podcast? I I, I don't think a lot of them know what a podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> we get a stand at the Plowing Championships next year, maybe. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That's how we reach out. 
or in parish newsletters. Yeah. We could take out ads in parish newsletters all across the Do country. Do you remember the ad that went on the, for the couple for the Blaskin Islands? There's a cottage and a cafe, I think, in the Blaskin Islands, and they were looking for a couple to go and move there and live there and look after the place. I do remember that. I do yeah, remember that. They've got loads of people interested in it, even though it's miles from everything. Blasket is very beautiful, obviously. Uh, there's, there's not a whole pile going on there. Well, its uh, main attraction is a place called Fatal Cliff, and that's not because of the Irish. Uh, it's some, Fatal means something in Irish. It's literally because people died there. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, keep it nice and literal. There's no uh, yeah. there's no need to be clever with a name like that. No, no, no. <laughs> moving swiftly on. Yeah, moving swiftly on. So it is World Storytelling Day, and obviously a lot of plans that had been made. Uh, we were looking at doing stuff through FEST, the Federation of European Storytellers. And obviously Europe at the moment is at the centre of everything. But but with those being cancelled, there's no reason we can't, till, can't still tell stories Bobby. exactly so I just struggled with that sentence <laughs> um, but we, we can t- still tell stories you're, you're struggling with sentences I'm the one here nodding away on a podcast in agreement it's a good nod though it's good. <laughs> maybe we should do video maybe maybe I know I think we're too attractive I think uh-huh. I think the message is too important I like that episode of Black Books where they, they, they write a children's book oh, and yeah. the children's <laughs> book is so good they have to destroy it <laughs> Because oh. it will ruin their lives. <laughs> you don't want, yeah, you don't want to get known for something like that. But the thing as well, girl's party is if it was video, you'd have to put some clothes on. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, I'm a regular uh, naturist. That's, ah, you're an irregular naturist. Yeah. <laughs> well, party, seeing as we've got, like, the museum is empty, you know what I mean? This, yeah. People can't come in, you know. Yeah. We, we're very lucky. We've all still got jobs, you know what I mean? There's bits yeah. for us to do. But it is strange when the museum is empty. Yes. We just celebrated our 10th birthday party. Yeah. I mean, I know you're here five years. I'm, I'm here at the 10. I've done the stretch. But it's strange. We, we've come through a lot. Like we've you're seen like the Brooks in, in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I was thinking it was more like Rita Fairclough in Carnation Street. <laughs> you know, those really just can't seem to find other work. <laughs> but uh, oh, we, we've seen the snowstorms. We've seen... Uh, we've seen lockle, lockle. I can't pronounce the name of that. Uh, that, that uh, yeah, the, the earthquake. Volcano. The volcano. volcano. Earthquake. Yeah, the volcano. <laughs> With the ash cloud. But a lot of us, well, none of us have seen anything like this before. No, no. I was, uh, My father is uh, 83, going on 83. And I asked him, uh, he, like I said to you earlier on, he still has the, the, the mark for the vaccine for polio. Because when you got a vaccine for polio, it left a scar on you for the rest of your life. And, okay. and I asked him, had he seen anything like this before? And he was like, no, no, no nothing, nothing to this day. The only other time in is where we cancelled the St. Patrick's Day parade was for foot and mouth. And and not, well, I don't really want to get into too much, but they were pretty quick about cancelling it back then. Yeah. What it involved livestock. But for people, it was slow. But, you know, we're moving along. Let's not make this political. You know, we, we're in a great land, we're fit and we're healthy at the moment and everything's going well, so uh, let's focus on our stories, party. Yes. Now, you have been banging on about a particular story. I know you're well, smiling there already. <laughs> Just, you're going to have to get I it like, out of here. Well, I love this story. But it, I feel like I'm lancing a boil by getting <laughs> it out of here. <laughs> uh, there was a woman uh, named Maura Nivwenig and 
To say that uh, people kept a natural social distance from her would be to put it mildly. While Maura Nivoenig was the hardest working woman in the entirety of Donegal, uh, she was also a compulsive liar. Storyteller. Uh, <laughs> she, she would lie about anything. You'd be walking down the Bohreen, down the road with Maura, and you'd say, Maura, isn't the sky a lovely shade of blue today? And Maura would say, oh, no, the sky is deepest black. And by the time you had finished walking down the road with Maura, she had convinced you that the sky at 12 noon was the deepest shade of black. She, she was an incredible person, but nobody wanted to give her a job. She couldn't find a job anywhere because nobody could put up with a person who just lied straight off the bat. But uh, Kieran McCartig, he had one of the toughest farms in Donegal. It was very, very tough to, to work this land. Uh, it was He was farming stones for the most part. And he he couldn't find anyone to work for him. So he turned to Maura and they, they went home. She signed on uh, with Kieran. She worked very hard, got the stones out of the field. And one day they're up on the hill... And they're, they're digging spots, they're digging potatoes. And Kieran uproots from the ground this enormous potato. And he turns to Maura and he says, Maura, surely this is the largest potato you have ever seen in all of your life. Oh, okay, Kieran, it is, it is a very large potato indeed. But it isn't as large a potato as my grandfather grew. Oh, no. I remember it well. It was 48 after Black 47. When all the spuds were rotten in the fields, we took them out of the ground and we just threw them straight into the compost heap. But the following year, this great big stalk grew out of the compost heap. It went right up into the sky. And I climbed up the stalk and I could see all the way to London town. And I waved at the bell ringer in London and the bell ringer waved back at me. When I climbed down, we dug up the potato and we had nothing but potato from winter straight through to Easter. But by the time that spring rolled round that year, I was so very tired of eating potato. A couple of weeks later, anyway, and Kieran comes into the uh, into the main room of of his little cottage with an enormous cabbage, <laughs> and and he says to Maura, Maura, surely this is the largest cabbage you have ever seen, and Maura's sitting beside the fire and she's shelling peas, and she just looks up once at the cabbage and then back down at the peas and she's oh surely. Surely, Kieran, it is a very large cabbage. And there are many in these parts who would say it was the biggest cabbage ever. But it's not as big a cabbage as my mother grew. The cabbage that my mother grew, oh, it was so big that the cows could take shelter under the leaves. And one day there was a very heavy rain and the cabbage filled up with water and the cows were beneath the leaves. But sure didn't the leaf of the cabbage buckle. And it drowned all of the cows. They were sent down the road by the weight of the water. And, well, let me put it to you this way. All the cows were dead. And we had nothing but beef and cabbage. 
from winter straight through to Easter. But by the time spring rolled round, I was so very tired of eating beef and cabbage. Couple of weeks later now, and Kieran thinks, this time, this time I've got her. And he wheels an enormous wheel of cheese into the, the front room of his little cottage. And he says, Maura, surely this is the largest wheel of cheese you have ever seen. He lifted it up and he placed it on the table and the legs of the table buckled and broke from the weight of the wheel of cheese. Maura didn't even look up from the winkers and the reins of the, of the horse that she was repairing. She said, oh, surely, Kieran, that is a very big wheel of cheese. But it's not a big, as big a wheel of cheese as my mother made. One year my mother dug up the whole backyard and she poured the milk into the hole in the yard. She got it all done in about two hours. <laughs> and it was a huge wheel of cheese. But at the same time, oh, my favourite wolfhound, Betsy, went missing. And about two weeks later, I was walking beside the enormous wheel of cheese. And there emerged from out the wheel of cheese, Betsy, and eight puppies. It had taken the nine dogs two weeks to eat their way out of the enormous wheel of cheese. Well, by the time Maura had finished this story, a huge smile is, is creasing Kieran's face. Much like my own. <laughs> and he just can't help it. He turns to her and he said, Maura... I have just a job for you. Tomorrow, my brother is about to be hanged for a murder. Did he do it? Oh, that doesn't matter, Maura. But I think you can save him. Oh, how could I do that? He said, go to the market tomorrow where he's to be hanged. And just be yourself. So Maura went to the, the market, I suppose, to Letter Kenny. And there was a big crowd gathered to watch the hanging. The hangman was itching for the kill. She went up onto the up onto the gallows and she shouted out, Stop! The hangman was very disappointed. He said, What are you playing at? And she said, I'm about to tell you a story. And there is someone in this crowd. They will call me a liar. And they are the person who really committed the murder. Now, I'm not saying the hangman was gullible. But he decided to play along for the crack. <laughs> let's put it let's put it that way. And Mara began her story. She said, When my father died, he left me a fine field, but it was next to the convent. And he said that if I didn't keep the field very well, I was to give it to the nuns for their pasturage. I looked into the into the shed and we, we'd only so much grain that year. It would only cover about a quarter of the field. So I went uh, across Ulster, couldn't find enough grain anywhere. Myself and the poor horse swam all the way to Scotland. I went into Aberdeen and the folks in Aberdeen, they drove a very hard bargain. But when we were coming home... Uh, my horse looked at the water again that we'd have to swim across and my horse turned to me and said Oh, I don't think I can do it it's a very long way to swim oh I'm jacked, I'm tired, I'm wrecked I can't do it so I performed an operation there and then on the horse I removed its spine and I took a very nice pine tree and I cut it down, I shaved it down and I put it into the horse 
in place of its spine and shall we float it all the way home to Donegal. I saw the, the grain in the field the following uh, harvest time. I looked at the field and I realised that, well, there was only me to reap the harvest and there was too much to do in time. I saw a small rabbit and I thought, well, I might not be able to reap the harvest, but at least I might have the rabbit to eat. So I threw my scythe at the rabbit. It hit the rabbit, but the rabbit was still alive. And it ran up and down the field, over and back, and it ran away then over the hill. I was very sad because it was my favourite scythe. But then I turned around, I looked at the field. And of course the rabbit, in all of its coming and going, all of its heathering over, it had reaped the harvest for me. Brought the harvest inside to the into into the shed, but what should I find? But the the pine tree that was inside in the back of the horse, it had sprouted roots threw the horse down into the ground and up into the sky and I climbed up the pine tree all the way to the top and at the top of the tree I found a salmon in its nest and I took it down and I had a beautiful salmon that evening uh, for my dinner and out from the crowd this old man cries out I have sailed the seven seas And never in all of my life have I seen a salmon make a nest in a tree. You are a liar. The hangman knew then and there that he had the true culprit. They hanged the sailor, the old sailor that day. And Maura and Ciarán's brother Michal went back to the farm. Ciarán paid Maura a thousand pounds for saving his brother. And he asked her to marry him. She said, no, my sweetheart is the youngest son of the King of France. And I must go and save him now from the debtor's prison because he lost all of his money while betting on the horses in Dublin. Maura left the farm that day. Some say that her beloved was the youngest son of the King of France. Some say... He was just some lad named Sean. You finally have an out of your system. <laughs> that was worthy of Dr. Pimple Popper in terms of dancing and dancing. What is it about that story? Because you, you've been obsessing over it for such a long time. I don't know what it is about it. It's just the, a, it's the main character in the story is uh, an uncompromising, strong woman who is... Uh, whose character is every bit as colourful as the problem with a lot of the folk tales is that uh, and the myths they're all very good they're all very exciting and uh, in comparison to other stories from the continent in Europe our women tend to be a lot more fleshed out mm. but sometimes the, the the female characters in in the stories can be a bit one dimensional yeah very uh, typecast as well very typecast yeah. Maura is clearly the main character in the story and she doesn't fit a stereotype of what a woman of this type should be. She's a liar. She's happy that uh, to that another man be hanged in place of yeah. uh, in place of uh, Kieran's brother. She works very hard on a farm. She's a farm labourer, that yeah. kind of thing. She's as a female character, she's incredibly interesting. 
I think she'd make a great taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 20 minute, 30 minute stint in the car is about as much as you could. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. As, yeah, as, yeah. as you could take. You could see why nobody wanted to give her a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could understand that. It was amazing, though, like, kind of, I immediately, like, kind of. And I know you've met the individual as well. We've, we've met a Moira. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we, we've, <laughs> met a, we've met a Moira. That's the amazing thing about this place. Every type of person has come in over the last 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some of you who are listening to the podcast are the people who come in. And if you've come in and you've spent time with the storytellers here, I think they realize how much they genuinely mean to us and how much they make it interesting for us as well. You know, five years of uh, of tours, body, when you when yeah. you think of that person who sticks out in your head, you know what I mean? There's yeah. so many of them. Have you had your favorite tours? It happened yet? Um... I always, yeah, I always think that the next, um, I always think that the next hit is going to be the the best one, uh, yeah. you know, uh, because it is you are uh, as a storyteller you are a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I know to some people it doesn't seem like an adrenaline sport, but it is. Uh, that uh, yeah, the, the performance side. I mean, like I'm, yeah. I'm missing it. I'm missing it now. I'm missing my yeah. fellow storytellers. Yeah. I'm missing you know our visitors coming in. Um, I'm missing seeing the same people I see in the street every day, and we're only a few days into this. Yeah, you know, we've had some amazing, and we've people on like who come in again yeah. and again. Yes, yeah, we do, we do. This is an amazing one on Twitter there, and uh, shout out to you. I wish I, do you know yeah. what? I wish sometimes that we actually prepared these things before yeah. we sat down to talk. But there was one on Twitter yesterday, and it was showing this woman in the states, I believe, and she was there with her home office set up. Yeah. And she was wearing for St. Patrick's Day, of course, because, yeah. you know, it's not World Storytelling yet. This will go out on World Storytelling Day, but this is recorded, guys. Yeah. <laughs> not, to, not to spoil it for you. But, uh, yeah, on St. Patrick's Day, she was wearing a Leprechaun Museum T-shirt. And that's how she was noting the day. Yeah. And she was in in 2010. Wow. The year we opened. And it's amazing, I think, people kind of get what we do and lean into it, you know? Because I think yeah. there is a gap there for people. You know? I've had some great tours over the, over the years. Uh, the Bear Fela tour, I will always remember f- yes. fondly. Yeah, Tom uh, and the guys are brilliant. Yeah, Bear Fela, we're always happy to hear from them. People who identify as vampires come in to us, and they are always great to have on the tour. Yeah, and actually, a shout out because I mean, I it kind of feels like we've got family around the world you know when, yeah. when you say the vampires like Matt and hey Matt how you doing yeah. I know they were due they're due over in July I hope to come over because they're Matt's amazing and it's just you know you can be very different to people but it's what we have in common that brings us close together but yeah vampires yeah. bears some great uh, student groups over the years as well yeah uh, coming in from uh, everywhere from UCD to to the school of life yeah uh, um so i tried to get into the school of life but they, i wasn't accepted oh, graduation sucks uh, yeah, yeah. it's in a box i ended up in uh, trinity college same uh, thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> these days it might as well be yeah yeah i've had some 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 great tours over the years i've had some weird tours which we won't get into too deeply oh let's <laughs> <laughs> again it's almost impossible to get into trouble at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no. Like, I mean, yeah, there have been some amazingly weird tours that come in. I yeah. still remember the lacrosse tour, which I won't go into too much, but anyone who works in the museum has heard that story. Uh, you know, we've had Santa on a tour. We've had Santa. We've had Santa in twice in June. That's when he takes his holidays. 
I thought I was having a breakdown the first time. I was, I, was, I, was, I was dealing with a really kind of like busy crowd of actually it was language school groups at the front and it was kind of overwhelming and I look by them and I just see this happy glowing man with a big white beard a red t-shirt yeah. and a pair of chinos yeah. a pair of chinos you know sun's holidays yeah. and uh, I honestly thought I was having a breakdown and he yeah. came up and he handed me his business card <laughs> uh, and actually I have a photograph and I'll have to post a photograph up on Twitter or something you know it's, it's and the kids who come in when a kid comes in and just steals your thunder <laughs> with the best question you know what I mean when the Irish dancing festival was in town and off you yeah know. the world championships up in the city west uh, hotel every year yeah. yeah they've come in and they just and the hens parties and and a shout out as well to like some of our some of our you know performance peers and cousins who've come in over you know when we've had yeah. the entertainment crew coming in off the cruise ships or Whenever there's a show, we've had guys in from Matilda, you know, the Adams family. When the show's on the board, gosh, we tend to get some of the cast in. And I'm, I'm kind of missing all of those people mm. an awful lot at the moment, you know. We've also had some... I always get asked the question, you know what I mean? Uh, have you ever had anyone famous in the museum? Yeah. And I was like, apart from the staff. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like, I think back to Lars Ulrich from Metallica has been in a few times now. Wow. Uh, big, that's a big deal, obviously, to someone yeah. like me. Jeff Dunham, amazing ventriloquist, came in, took some of the guys down to the show. Then afterwards, wow. I remember his panic because his the puppets had actually been lost. They're in Paris, and he was in Dublin yeah. for a show. The panic over that, but Jeff Dunham was amazing. Yeah, we do get some incredible people coming in, Roddy. Yeah. Al Murray, of course, and Al Murray is always really good to us. Al Murray was so much funny. Can be with Andrew Maxwell. Andrew yes. Maxwell, of course, had to have that bitter kind of Irish kind of <laughs> twist on it where he couldn't be seen to be enthusiastic about anything. But Al Murray, of course, who, I mean, he loves his history. Yes. You know what I mean? We just got involved. And a big guy. Yeah. A big guy, of course. It's just been incredible. Because we tell stories yeah. about characters. We sure do. And we tell them two absolute characters. <laughs> I I'd, I'd, uh, We were in the little cottage one day and I had a four-year-old called Max... Yeah. basically kick me off the little bed I was sitting on <laughs> so we can have a lie down and he was as close to dozing off yeah. but the time was uh, time for us to leave the room it was incredible incredible times and we'll have them again we'll have them again we'll pull through this people were very uh, resilient yes. very resilient now Paddy when you told that story and it was it was very uh Therapeutic for you, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Had me thinking of actually the uh, the aristocrats joke <laughs> as it went on. You're talking about like herself being, you know, not a typical female character. Yeah. I was told a story in here, and it's one that's worked its way into tours quite a bit by an amazing storyteller in here. Lauren told me a great story one day, and it's amazing from when she tells it. Soon when I go to tell it, it changes, it changes in an instant. You know, depending on who's telling it. But she told me this great story about this uh, this tailor who was uh, what's, how would I refer to him now he was uh, WFH which is a big thing at the moment party. do you know what WFH stands for? Oh, I'm not down with the kids oh it's working from home or, oh, oh he was uh, he had a home studio and he was working away he was very busy fulfilling his orders and getting through his work when all of a sudden uh, the wife who'd been out sewing seeds at the front comes bursting into his uh, his workshop and she says Billy, Billy, she says, you're going to have to come outside. There's there's 300 geese and they're picking at all the seeds and they're destroying the place. You're going to have to come out this instant and help me get rid of them. It's dangerous out there. And of course, he was having none of it. Billy's like, he's like, maybe, he says, 
Would you get out there? Look, I can see the window from here. There is not 300 geese out there. I can't see a single one. And she storms off out. And then, you know, a couple of minutes later, she's coming back in. And she's like, okay, there's not 300, she says. But there's there's, there's 50 of them out there, she says. And they're destroying the place. You're going to have to come out and help me. And he, of course, is just, he's getting sick of it. She's not used to having him in the workshop. He normally gets away to do his work. She's roaring at him, but he has to come out and get rid of these geese party. They're yeah. everywhere. She throws down a seed. It's not even, the seed's not even hitting the ground party. Yeah. The, the geese are practically taken out of her hand. They're catching it midair. And uh, there's, there's 50 of them out there going mad. And he's like, listen, he says, there's not 50 geese out there. Would you stop interrupting me? I've got this work to do. Would you get out, get those seeds down in the ground and give me a bit of peace, woman, would you? So she storms off in a huff, you know, and she, you know, seed bag under her arm and she's off out the door again. And he's just, you know, just getting into his work again when she bursts in the door for a third time. And she comes in, she says, well, listen, she says, I'm really struggling there. She says, there's, there's, there's three geese out there, she says. And they're, they're just, they're taking the seed. There's nothing, we're going to have nothing to eat. Nothing's going to grow. We're going to have no food come sprout time. And he's like, oh, I'll tell you what then, he says. Uh, just, I'll come out, he says. But you're telling me there's three geese outside. And she's like, there is. She says, there's three geese outside. And he's like, okay, I'll come out and I'll help you chase them off. So he goes off out with her and he goes out there and not a sign of them. No geese to be seen whatsoever. And she's like, there is. She says, they were just here. There was there was, there was three geese out here. Yeah, you have to believe me. And he's like, no. He says, I think you're just starved of attention, he says. And you're, you're wrecking me head. And she says, well, in that case, she says, if you don't believe me, you don't love me. You don't trust me. I might as well die. And he's like, woman, you're overreacting. Would you cop on to yourself and come on back into the house and we'll have a cup of tea? And she's like, no. She says, I can't go anywhere. She says, I'm dead. I'm dead. No, body, don't laugh. Don't, because you don't laugh at them in that situation because you just get anger. She's like, I'm dead. You're going to have to, you're going to have to call for my family. I'm on my way out and uh, you'll have to call for my family to come and, and come and see me. And he's like, I'm not calling your family. He goes, well, she says, I'm just going to go inside now and just be dead in the house. Mm-hmm. So she goes in and she gets into the chair and she won't talk to him. She's not giving anything. She just keeps kind of making moaning noises like a ghost and calling for her family. And eventually he gives in and he thinks, all right, I'll call for her sisters to come and come and see her. You know, maybe they can snap her out of this, you know, give her a little bit of attention that she wants. So he sends off for the family and, uh, you know, the sisters come along first and uh, sisters say, Jesus, what's wrong with you? He goes, oh, she says, I'm dead. She says, he's, he's not, no, party. She says, she says, I'm dead. He's an awful cruel man. She says, I was, I was attacked by geese. You know what I mean? And, and my heart's broken because he wouldn't believe me. He's an awful man. I can't believe I hitched my car to this horse. He's, he just, he doesn't love me. And I've, it's a broken heart. Broken heart or geese killed her. It was one or the other. <laughs> Either way, she was dead. And the sisters are just going to him like, listen, will you just admit that there was three geese out there and she'll be fine and we get on with it? He goes, no. He says, I can't. I can't admit there was three geese because there wasn't three geese. I didn't see any. She says, well, you know, she's convinced now that she's dead and, uh, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to kind of just go play along with her until she gets bored. And he goes, do whatever you want. He says, I've got work to do. This is getting ridiculous. He says, well, listen, She's asking for the vicar now. And he goes over to her. He's like, are you serious? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna call for the priest. The holy man's going to come to the house. And you're going to make him come all the way out here. He's a busy enough man. The village is filled with sinners. Like that party chap down the road. 
and you're gonna make him you're gonna make him come out and give you the last rites, are you? And she's like, Yeah, well I'm dead, so that's what I need. I need the priest. So he decides to just, you know, make a show of her. So yeah, I'll call the priest. I'll call them. Do you want a coffin? She's like, Yeah, I'm gonna need a coffin, I'm gonna be buried, I want a nice one too. <laughs> uh, he says, Well, we'll see about that, you know. Uh probably not gonna get paid much considering I'm not getting any work done at the moment. <laughs> but he calls to the priest who comes out, you know, the priests arrive and the sisters are doing her makeup and like trying to put white makeup on her, make her look dead. And she's slapping away, and she says, There's no need for that. She says, Stop mocking me. Stop making fun of me. She says, I'm dead. I've died. He killed me. He killed me by not believing me and breaking my heart. And the priest, of course, doesn't know what to do, so he's, he's going along with it. The, you know, out comes the coffin uh, is made, you know. The coffin's made, she's put into it. She's laid on the table. The, the sisters, the family, the vicar, the coffin maker, the neighbours, they're all gathered around, and the husband still won't agree that there was three geese there. And she's still playing along with a party. She is as stubborn a woman as you will ever meet in your life. So the guys have dug the hole outside, right beside the patch where she'd been sowing the seeds. The coffin is carried out and, you know, lower down into the ground and she's just staring at her husband, this smug look on her face, pod, you know, as if she's convinced she's going to win. And the husband's standing there and the priest is saying a few words and the wife is just staring, not blinking, straight in the husband's eye. And he picks up a bit of dirt, you know what I mean, and he has the dirt and he's just playing with it in his hand, just juggling around in his hand. And he's like, are you ready to come out now? And says, admit that there was no geese. She says, no, she says, are you ready to admit that there was three geese? He's like, no. So they put the lid on the coffin. Now they've put a little hole in it, pardon. <laughs> a little hole in it, you know what I mean? They, they want to see how far this is going to go, but they're not going to suffocate the woman. So they nail on the thing. And then she starts panicking, party. Then she knows it's gone too far. She's banging on the inside of the coffin. And the husband jumps down on into the grave and on top of the coffin. He goes, now, he says, are you ready to admit there wasn't three geese? She says, no, I can't. She says, you know I can't. She says, come on, would you would you just agree with me? She says, just, there was there was one goose. There was one goose. I swear to you, there was one goose. Can you just agree with me there was one goose? He goes, I can't lie. He says, I, I took, there's a holy man here. There's a priest here. I can't lie in front of him. There was no goose she's panicking and she's pounding on the thing she just admit there was a goose and he says I'm afraid I can't so he has the dirt in his hand and he says here listen to this now and he drops the dirt on the coffin lid she, can fe- she feels it hit the coffin lid she can hear it and she starts trying to scream and saying that she's she, he, he was right she was wrong and he's like no and he starts pulling the dirt down in on top of the coffin the whole time she's howling until there is silence once again Everyone stood around, party in shock, not knowing what to do. He patted down the last bit of dirt. He thanked them all for coming. He gave the priest a few bob. He told the coffin maker he'd sort him out the following week. And as they all walked away and he stood over his wife's grave, he sighed, he turned, and he started walking back to his workshop. There was jobs to be done, party. On his way back to the workshop, what did he see around the side of the house, party? One goose. <laughs> But he rubbed his hands off on his trousers, back into the house, and he lived very, very happily for the rest of his days. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awful story. <laughs> Do you know what's funny about those two stories, Paddy? What's funny about them? There's nothing those? magical about them. No. <laughs> there's nothing magical about them. There's no dragons. There's no gods. There's no There's no leprechauns. It's a leprechaun museum podcast. There's no leprechauns. But it just shows you. People are weird. People are strange when you're a stranger. (laughs) 
Faces look ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I much watched, much watched the Lost Boys now. I'm getting through an awful lot of movies at the moment, party. But yeah, you don't need much for a story, do you? Yeah. All you what, what's the ingredients of a story, party? What do you think the ingredients? Oh, it's beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, That's people, all. people. Are, even if it's you personify something, every oh, every yeah. story's yeah. got people. In. You need something to happen. Yes. You need something to happen. Someone needs to observe it, and then someone needs to tell someone what happened. Mm. That's it. Beginning, middle, and an end. It's not a complicated thing, is it? No. 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 Okay, uh, qu- uh, questions from uh, the public. Questions um, Questions from the public, yeah. We've got a few yeah. questions here from people. Yeah, um, one is, uh, what is your uh, What is your favourite pastime when you're bored? And that's that's it's, uh, The clean version, please. Not, it wasn't that. I was just trying to think of my many. But you know what? It's, um, it's, it's stories. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I suppose we're all kind of story nerds in here. I too have been I've been reading an awful lot. More. And I, do you know I've been reading an awful lot more this year, yeah. and I've been focusing on Irish writers. Some great stuff. Ruth Francis Long, of course. Shout out, she's a brilliant writer. Deirdre Sullivan, actually, um, Perfectly Parental Debts, an amazing book that mm-hmm. I, that I recently finished. And it was a great. We well, see we're very lucky in here. We get a lot of kind of like yeah. editors' proofs and books in advance. And I read, read one by, uh, I hope I'm going to say the name right, because I'm saying it from memory, I wasn't bad, but uh, a Scottish writer, Francine yeah. Toon, uh, Pine. Fabulous book, Potty. Fabulous yeah. book. Nice mix of, you know, tr- crime, thriller, yeah. Scottish folklore. Fabulous book. So, for me, reading. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you're looking for a book that's got storytellers in the plot, which isn't just a story itself but also features storyteller yeah. Alexandra Rowland has beautiful books at the moment The Choir of Lies is very good it's about a tribe of itinerant storytellers and there's a great scene in it where um, the uh, the older storyteller watches his apprentice tell a story and it just shows what's going on in yeah. the older storyteller's head as he watches his apprentice it's brilliant stuff it's really exciting too yeah well, it has to be more than just reading then, okay? <laughs> reading yeah, stories. well, I'm, <laughs> I'm a video game nerd, all right, but I'm not sure how interested people are in uh, that. They're listening to this podcast, taking a break from the games <laughs> they're playing. Probably. <laughs> probably. Trying to fit in a bit of culture. Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, number two, is what I'm playing at the moment. I'm very much looking forward to uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake, which is coming out in April. Again, I like the RPGs. I like the, I like the games that are... Stories, stories that are storytelling. Mario Kart is my favorite, but it doesn't have much of a storyline. I, uh, you know, what that, you can make up your own stories. You can do like fan fiction for Mario Kart. Oh, I don't think I want to. <laughs> I don't even know. That. I just like playing the game. I know nothing about it. I know there's princess. There's a princess Peach. Princess Peach. I know Sarah in here is a big fan of horse. Yes, and both Sarah and uh, my partner are looking forward to the Animal Crossing coming out very soon could be postponed could it everything's getting postponed at the moment yeah. you know everything's getting it but yeah video games you can get birds of prey I suppose the movie is going to be available digitally to people because we can't go to the cinema yeah but I saw that because I, I saw birds of prey I also saw Emma which I thought was absolutely fantastic right uh, I enjoyed it. and then I watched the BBC version of it on Netflix as well it's really nine. funny really funny that, that that's what I enjoy watching <laughs> the two yeah I mean it's weird for someone my background is in fine art and sculpture and right. and yet storytelling seems to just be what my entire world is about now 
And the, the next question uh, from the public is, what does St. Patrick's Day mean to you? Which is, uh, which is a good question, because we just went through St. Patrick's Day where there was no pub, there was no parade. So what does it mean to you outside of those things? Well, I suppose I'm Dublin-based, so Dublin St. Patrick's Day parade gets a lot kind of shone on it. But what's St. Patrick's Day, or what has St. Patrick's Day been like down in Ballylongford? Uh, St. Patrick's Day is, um, I don't know, I have glorious memories of St. Patrick's Day when I was a child because it's always, you, when you look back at St. Patrick's Day, you always think the sun was shining. Yeah. Even though, even though 90% of the St. Patrick's Day was probably raining. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a good time to be, you can't do it now to be out with your friends so, and to be social with uh, your buddies. Uh, but it also, there's... There's a kind of an indescribable feeling when you wake up and you're Irish on St. Patrick's Day, where you're thinking to yourself that, oh, it's such a beautiful country, and isn't yeah. it so great to be alive here at this time on this day when our country is uh, taking its place among the nations of the world, you know? Yeah, and but it's just in recent years, that and Arthur's Day and stuff like that kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. Right. All my fun thoughts of St. Patrick's Day are from when I was a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Walking the parade, the Dublin parade, the Tallaght parade, you know, in, in an athletic group, which I did, which is, you're smiling for all the right reasons, buddy. It's hard to imagine me being like that. But nostalgia-wise, it, it, it feels great. But I don't know. I, I My images in recent years are Temple Bar, St. Patrick's Day, you know, and... You know what Dublin's missing? It's missing the tractor trailer with the accordion players. Yeah, yeah. Though we loved all the reenactments of the uh, JCB Lidl uh, <laughs> yeah. thing from during the big snow a couple of years ago. Yeah. That was amazing. But I don't know. It's 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 controversial. It is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we could be looking at it again, party. Yeah, um, yeah St. Patrick's Day. I don't know. It seems to be. It's kind of humbling to see how people around the world appreciate it more than we do. Yeah, I do, you know, I, do you know what I think we're going to come out the other side of this COVID-19 thing a very different people yeah. where, like you said we're reflecting a lot on a greater understanding of ourselves the rest of the world seems to celebrate St. Patrick's Day us to a certain extent as well like the the, the Roman holiday it was before it became St. Patrick's Day the Liberalia or Libercalia I forget which are they not Mexican wrestlers? no no they might be uh, <laughs> But it was a, a fertility festival where everyone had a jolly good time. Well, everyone's saying that in nine months' time we're going to see a massive baby boom, uh, um, which is strange because <laughs> we're not meant to be touching each other at the moment. <laughs> Staying away from it, and people absolutely starved of any form of affection and intimacy. I'd be very surprised if there's a baby boom in my house. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, party. You never know. <laughs> yeah, St. Patrick's Day is this year. It's changed. Yeah. Same, I mean, Good Friday when the pubs, you know, had it that it could open. I expected more of a more, you know, a bigger change, but there was nothing. Maybe we'll just, we'll just keep going. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to be proud of this St. Patrick's Day. You know, our health, our those working in the health service. Yeah, I mean, I think the Irish are at our best, and I think people, sorry, generally, I'm just saying this as an Irish person. I suppose our stuff has been, you know, highlighted a lot over over the years. In terms of people, we do better when we're struggling. When everyone has everything handed to them, and I obviously I'm speaking from a, a place of privilege, 
you know, relatively speaking. But I think with people struggle, they really kind of show what they're like, you know, and people pulling together are probably not proud of a lot of decisions made by government and I see bad behaviour by individuals and by businesses but in terms of how people are behaving it's amazing to see what people are capable of yeah you know and that leads me nicely on to the next question which was one that was uh, that was sent in to us and I'll ask it to you Podgy yes what makes a good storyteller what makes <laughs> there's a couple of things in my mind that make a good storyteller it's that the first thing is they need to enjoy telling the story first of all yeah for if you don't enjoy telling the story like <laughs> the story of the great potato I loved telling that story yeah, I know. I'm well aware there are massive plot holes in it <laughs> but I enjoy telling the story yeah. and uh, I think that's so the passion the passion is the is the is the thing first of all the other thing that makes a very good storyteller is your ability to suspend your disbelief when you're, lis- when you're listening to them. So when they kind of wipe out all of your cynicism and all of your scepticism and yeah. you're willing to walk down the road and listen to them. The, st- the storyteller is the kind of person you meet on the Boharine or on the laneway or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and you would be happy to walk alongside them and hear them talk. Uh, because and if they started telling you that I don't know aliens are landing in Connemara or something that you'd be happy. Or that their mother had made a massive wheel of cheese. Yeah, you know, that their mother had made a massive wheel of cheese. That that to my mind is is valuable. You can talk about uh, different things uh, about charisma and that kind of thing, but I th- they're only marginally. And, and, they, yeah. and they they break into different suppose, styles of storytelling. Yeah. But I think talking about something that you actually want to be talking about. Yeah. I mean that's why the guys here that's why the guys here have no scripts. Yeah. We want to be telling stories they want to. It's why and you know, may as well address it here now. I wasn't going to that we got nominated into uh the Great Place to Work scheme, the Spotlight series. We were up there, yeah. you know, uh, it went to Centre Parks, uh very deserving of it, but that that the Leprechaun Museum was considered yeah. Yeah. one of the top places in the tourist industry in the country to work in and letting the guys do things their way yeah. is the most authentic way that we, we can to kind of have storytellers so many different styles we've had more than 40 storytellers yeah. through the museum in 10 years and we've had visiting ones because it was funny there when you said about getting people to you know suspend disbelief and stuff like that uh, I think of a great storyteller who joined us recently who was not from this land so who I'm talking about? Oh, Bonnie. Monique uh, Burke from uh, the Occitan from from France, uh, marvelous person in in so many ways. Uh, she sent an email to me uh, yesterday, wishing us all uh, well and happiness uh, in this difficult time. But again, with Monique, it's the her ability to communicate in several languages. So she's got that suspension of disbelief down to. A tea. But even to the point where she can be talking a language that you don't speak. Yeah, exactly. And you're still just going along with it, which is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I actually weirdly, I'm going to be a nerd here for a second. Uh, when she was over, it reminded me of an episode of uh, Star Trek. <laughs> this one where uh, Patrick Stewart is, I don't know it well enough to know, yeah. to name the episode. I'm just great people out there who know it straight off. And that's a throw to you, James Brophy. You'll probably be able to tell me who worked on on the show. But of course, Picard is crash landed on a planet with a, a you know a member of another species, and 
they communicate through stories. Right. It's like the walls fell, I remember being one yeah. of the lines watching it when it first came out. But they didn't speak the same language and they were still able to communicate mm. through, through, through stories, mm. which is incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of stories come true. A lot yeah. of storytellers come true. We've had storytellers on tours. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always nice to talk to people at the end of a tour. Yes. You know, when they reach out and they tell, when I tell stories back home. Yes. Or somebody tells you, well, I'm not a storyteller, but let me tell you this. And two seconds into it, they're a storyteller. You yeah. know they are. And the range of topics that the stories are like, shout out to, to, to Tina Claus if she's listening, who does true crime storytelling. Yeah, Tom's uh, spoken to me yeah, about her, yeah. Yeah. The things, A, the things that you can tell storytelling, that you can tell stories about is amazing. And B, the number of things that we tell stories about that we don't realize that what we're doing is storytelling is also quite amazing. Yeah. Because I know in here at the museum, we have a particular framework and window to kind of operate from, you know. There's no limit, you know what I mean, really, to how we tell the stories. But it's a museum of Irish folklore and, and Irish mythology. Yeah. And I know when I listen to some of the guys in here talking about stuff that maybe isn't something that you could fit in on a tour. Yeah. But we're not just storytellers when we're in work. Yeah, the, the the thing is to imagine that, that folklore somehow stopped in the ni- at the end of the 19th century. That yeah. There was no longer folklore after 1901. But you have like modern folklore, this idea that yeah. Fungi the Dolphin is an immortal dolphin living down in Dingo. You started that. <laughs> that's, that's you. That's, that's not a thing, Bonnie. That's, that's just you. That, I think that's, that, to my mind, uh, yeah, it's no, it's, folklore, you know. But all the urban legends and the characters on the streets of Dublin and stuff like that. And I suppose yeah. these are all things we're going to tackle in other podcasts. But, um, but shout yeah. out to Bobby Ahern if he's listening. Yay, Bobby! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you know what? She had a lot of our kind of old storytellers who, times of this, like we're seeing them kind of popping up online. We're, of course, looking forward to George Shock and the Guy. We're going to be working with, with Ita again. Who's going to be bringing a group in. Yeah. Uh, either one of our former star- storytellers. Got Bobby. I see Chris McCormick popping up online all the time. Uh, Hugh Cooney. Mm-hmm. Seamus O'Reilly. All right, Shocko. We're so lucky. And actually, even there, and this is, this is I'm calling out Aoife Corcoran. Yes. Even though Corcoran's not her surname anymore. But Aoife, Aoife uh, of course, during the, this time, in Lucan Library telling yeah. stories putting she out is. stories and yet our Twitter bio doesn't refer to her as a storyteller sometimes Baker or something like that it says in there oh. but uh, and she's a librarian it's of a course, challenge to Aoife Corcoran to remember your roots yeah <laughs> you're out there telling stories uh, we'll see you next time I we'll bump into you on the bridge crossing the river you're going to end up getting chucked in <laughs> <laughs> but there are people out there who don't even don't even realise that they're storytellers and that they're amazing storytellers exactly you know, and when we pull through this party, I'm sure we'll meet yeah. many, many more. Definitely. I think how we space out our words there and how we change our tone, it signals just one thing, party, which I will leave to you and your beautiful, beautiful Kerry tone. Uh, before, before we finish up, in this uh, important time, in this, in this trying time, look after yourself and your loved ones. Wash your hands, uh, ring, uh, ring your senior friends, and you know, reach out to us. Just because our doors are closed doesn't mean our minds are closed. 
reach out to us through or our hearts are closed uh, reach out to us through email through uh, Facebook through Twitter through Instagram uh, anything at all send us a video send us a voice message any way you can we'll only be delighted to hear from you I was Paddy Holly I was Mark O'Garroin and you were very very good listeners <laughs>